0: But yeah, that was so funny when the Miko Rantanen thing was going around about the, like, he wrote like a 2000 word essay about why his fine should be
1: rescinded, which first of all, it's a $2,500 fine. Release the tapes. (laughs) 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 Like, please release them. I need more samples of how to write memos. I don't know how to write memos. I'm having a very tough time at work.
0: (laughs) If the fine was bad, then okay i guess but like at the end of the day it's like this is a dude who makes 9.5 <laughs> $9. <laughs> $9. <laughs> million dollars a year
2: being a persnickety okay. Okay. rich guy about having
0: saying. to pay a two twenty five hundred dollar speeding ticket basically <laughs> that's
1: exactly okay but that fuck, okay a rich kid over like a, the tiniest fucking uh the tiniest issue and putting out all the stops to write a write a case for why they shouldn't be punished that's exactly who goes to law school that is exactly who becomes a lawyer th- Rich, that was the shitheads. this
0: thing that i thought was so funny was that they were like they they said like oh yeah he should become a lawyer or whatever as if like that wasn't the implication like people treated it as the implication was like oh he's uh because he's so smart or whatever and it's like no they're like oh, this persnickety asshole who writes 2000 word <laughs> essays about his spines clearly should be a lawyer
1: at least that's how i took yeah, it. yeah the kevin bx of the room would definitely be like yeah 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 chirping him for that like yeah <laughs> you stayed up till when writing this yeah <laughs> idiot <laughs> uh quick new segment is it ham or hamwe's? it's ham use
0: come on elliot what about you what is ham use yeah come on there's no ham it's not ham no Hamley ham ha- we we've already had this this discussion about ham ham uh, we well.
1: <laughs> what is it what is a french person to order it
0: look you at guys a... already got it got to do this enough on the last episode <laughs> 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 Nathan Horton is out of the hospital and headed for home after suffering what was termed on Tuesday as a severe concussion, the result
1: of Aaron Rome's late hit in Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Final. I know who the enemy is, and let me tell you, they are vicious wolves who hate you and your family. people. There's an attack on the species by a guild of psychopaths, and they must be defeated. This is a time
2: bomb. Gregory Campbell, my kid.
1: You don't love the spirit of justice. You love your father, the devil. Can we talk about the ivory tower I just came from? What frickin' dimension is this little creature from?
0: Rome suspended for four games or the rest of the series by the NHL's Mike Murphy. The play speaks something for itself. And we assess the play as I described to you. It was late, and it injured a player, and
2: it injured him severely. Look at the power trip. Murdering, executing whoever he wants. Campbell wins it, clear to the far side of the zone. Oh, Pacioretty is down face first as Char angled him, and Pacioretty was lined up against... The center glass between the two benches. Wabam well, bam Breaks your neck. See, if we get a look at how late this hit was, It's the chip down the wall. You cannot finish a check. You gotta release him with that puck is chipped by. Chara's gotta let him go there. But not only does he ride him into the boards, he puts him into that dangerous spot, and that is a defenseless position for Patrick
1: We've got the videos. A lot of you watched them live. We're going to get the clips and slow them down. And then, yeah.
0: You're a big tough guy, buddy. You just rammed into me. Ah, how do you like that?
1: Now hit me in the face and see what happens, punk. But you
0: are hitting into Alex Perot's head about how he plays. pre-setting or predetermining. It's an interesting way to sort of police. A great new world.
1: Well, there's fine in, in our business line, right? and, and right there, he starts that the retaliation. Uh The referee's call is, is a rule. We are not a bureaucracy. We are in control now. You must admit. To say we live in an ivy tower and we make these decisions almost sounds like we don't know what's going on in the real world. You know, at some point in time, I like tough hockey, but it crosses the line. If you allow it,
0: they'll do it. You do not control reality, you group of lying trash. Meanwhile, they're having articles
2: calling for shutting down the free press, and you start reading it. There's thousands and thousands and thousands and you know you're eating something real bad miles of manipulative
1: lying crap i call them goblins because they are i mean what the hell have we become excuse me excuse me i've been trying to control myself trying to be professional about this but at a certain point i just am just really getting pissed excuse me
0: all right folks welcome to another episode of roxy fever daddy's home i am your host jackson mcdonald with me as always <laughs> no <laughs>
1: It's Via Stran, your original host. <laughs> <laughs> if you've just started listening last week. <laughs> Could you imagine
0: if somebody, if that was the week somebody <laughs> decided to sentence? start listening?
1: <laughs> <laughs> what would people think the podcast e- even was? Oh, my God. I'm too afraid to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I will not listen to it.
0: It's so good. It's my favorite one. It's
2: pretty fun to listen to.
0: <laughs> Does it have like 35 cuts of me just go, just indicating that this conversation went nowhere. Yes, but that's what makes it good. (laughs) Um, It's the start of what I have unofficially dubbed 2011 month. We have four episodes planned to come out this month about the Canucks ill-fated run to the 2011 final. We are recording on the evening of Sunday June 6th. And somewhat serendipitously, I believe today is actually the 10-year anniversary of Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Final.
1: You lost that one, right?
0: We It was the first Canucks loss of the series and the game that featured the infamous turning point of the uh, Nathan Horton Aaron Rome hit. And also somewhat serendipitously in the Uh, Aftermath of that uh, very ugly uh, Mark Shifley hit, uh, which also resulted in a uh, in a four game suspension. So there's there's still lots of uh, things floating around in the ether right now that this relates to. And this episode will also, I think, be a further exploration of a few of the things that we talked about in the episode with Daniel Wagner about the Department of Player Safety, because this is really the period that we're going to be talking about today. Is essentially the period that directly leads to the founding of the Department of Player Safety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In case it's not clear, the theme of today's episode is 2011 was an inside job. Now, what does this mean? Uh, look,
1: <laughs> George. It starts with George H. W. Bush.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we're going to be discussing basically every manner of conspiracy theory that has floated around about this, uh, playoffs and the Stanley cup final in our market since the time that, that it happened. And, uh, for those of you that aren't aware, I spent the last week just absolutely steeped in NHL discipline lore. And, um, Jackson
1: has read more legal documents this week than I have in my three years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I combed through, uh, A lot of different material. I combed through all 313 unsealed documents in the NHL uh, concussion lawsuit that was filed in 2016. And then I also read through the entirety of the judgment in the the, uh, Dean Warren case that will come up later. There wasn't like that much in there. It was mainly just what it was, the other stuff that it was able to point me to. That was what was most useful about it.
1: Mm -hmm. Being Mm -hmm. able to
0: find out who guys are, how they talk, what they think,
1: who are some guys I should remember.
0: <laughs> so some guys that we should remember from, from this story, for sure. Start with Colin Campbell. That's the number mm-hmm. one. I'm sure we all remember Colin Campbell. Colin Campbell at the time of this series was the vice president of hockey operations. He was in charge of suspensions, um, mm-hmm. discipline,
2: PowerPoints to the UN.
0: Yes. PowerPoints to the UN. Exactly. <laughs>
1: And also at rocksofever.com slash merchandise, you can buy our (laughs) uh, shooting range photo of uh, Colin Campbell (laughs) 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 for five easy payments of $4.99.
0: Character number two that you absolutely need to know is Mike Murphy. Mike Murphy is Colin Campbell's right-hand man who eventually steps into the role on an interim basis. For the 2011 final so that Colin <laughs> Campbell can recuse himself from judge- making judgments about a cup final that features his son, Gregory Campbell, who is also another character. That uh, that we need to remember. Another guy that we need to remember. and when I
1: when I quickly googled Mike Murphy, the first thing name that came up. I quickly I just clicked on it like an I'm feeling lucky search. It's a Navy SEAL who died in suspicious circumstances. This is like we're already. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Don't open up that thread. I've already
0: have no idea how I'm going to keep this under an hour and a half. We can't open up a new thread. Um, Mike Murphy uh, definitely an important guy. Things to know about Mike Murphy. Uh, he's like Colin Campbell, but way stupider. He all of his emails uh, have like something like twenty-seven ellipses, like dots as ellipses between each sentence. There is an email that I posted on Twitter that is like just one of my favorite, like just one of my favorite things to look at, really ever. Uh, as a as a side note here, I think my favorite thing that I found was an email where it's a it's a guy sending an article where Todd Fedoric says, if we want to protect fighters, we should let them wrap their hands like in MMA. <laughs> and then and then it's just like, uh, I can't remember who the guy is who sends it to Colin Campbell, but he just sends it to him with the comment, boy, you could really tell this guy took a bunch of hits to the head. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like I, both I, really funny, but also awful. <laughs> like that yeah that this is how yeah. these guys talk about uh... they talk about them, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, okay. I found the email here. so this is this is this is the the thing the most pertinent thing to me about Mike Murphy that you need to know. And it's just an email uh, to Chris King, CC, and Colin Campbell. And once again, remember that between every sentence, there's like approximately seven eight dots. Wish I could add something intelligent, but I can't, so I will say something stupid. I'm a strong believer we are over-doctored. Too many so-called experts weighing in who have never been on the field of play. After playing or practicing, you don't feel like Superman, you're tired and worn out, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I realize we do have a problem, but I think we enhanced our problem by listening to all these experts, followed by uh, seven dots and then just MM <laughs> in capitals with no space <laughs> and that it says sent from my iPad.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so that's that's what you need to know about Mike Murphy. Other characters that that may be of import here. Stephen Walcom, I believe his name is, is the head of officiating. I mentioned Gregory Campbell already. Also, uh, Nathan Horton, Aaron Rome, you know, the players we know and love. Johnny Boychuk, Mason Raymond. And of course, uh, Zdeno Chara and a cameo appearance by Max Pacioretty, who we watched score a goal. Famous
1: Mexican hockey player, Max Pacioretty. That's right.
0: Before I get into my dossier uh, here, this is our first episode talking about 2011. So I won't. Um... Yeah, this is the first
1: time 2011's ever come up.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll save personal anecdotes about the series and the the playoffs in general for a later date. I think we're going to get plenty of opportunities to talk about that when we do the the Twitch stream. You guys were were in your you know late teens, early twenties. What was going through your head in the aftermath of the final when you know you're on Facebook or whatever and you start seeing. People talking about Colin Campbell or whatever. Like, did you guys ever buy into any conspiracy well, theories about I, about
1: this? I was on Facebook right after, and it was obviously wasn't talking about hockey. It was a lot of people talking about the riots. Yeah, which and we'll also get. Funnily to. enough, I was really annoyed by all the riot posts because there's a lot of people who I, who are just like people i went to high school with and you can Mm -hmm. attach a lot of meaning to that i will i I will do that doing their first hand at like a social media post about how like where they sound like a politician yeah and are like (laughs) condescending about stuff and are like ripping on people at the riot and like i didn't agree with the riot at the time but also i was just so annoyed by the the smugness that a lot of people have absolutely
2: yeah about it yeah
1: And so I didn't even get a chance to think about conspiracy theories. So this is my favorite.
2: So I have a horrible nerd answer to this, which is that I was already involved with like some sport governance issues at this point. So (laughs) like all this year with Colin Campbell, it was like blowing my mind that like a professional hockey league has worse procedures for like officiating standards than like amateur sport does.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, should we start with the emails then, the Colin Campbell emails? I think this is really the the crux. Of... Damn, we got
1: we got fan submissions from Colin Campbell. Beat <laughs> <laughs> um, your heart out, Glistern.
0: We should. Uh, we I, I feel like we should start here because this is really the uh, the meaty center of the uh, not just Canucks Bruins officiating conspiracy theory, but really like all officiating conspiracy theories, which have been a time-honored tradition for all hockey fans of all stripes. You know, um, I don't know if Alex Jones is going to come up again uh, during this recording. If I had to bet, probably. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But like, you know how there's like a little kind of like sort of half joking, half not rumor that flies around corners of the internet sometimes that Alex Jones is a psyop to discredit conspiracy theories?
2: Yeah. That's only half serious. <laughs> yeah, I mean fair
1: enough, right? Um <laughs> I mean our podcast is is part of that. It's <laughs> so discredit the league. <laughs> or does it discredit, discredit Benning uh haters? Exactly.
0: Yeah. Like I said, my search through the concussion documents was mostly for not. I don't really know what I was expecting like I, I guess a part of me was just really hoping there'd be some email from Colin Campbell to uh to or from Mike Murphy to Colin Campbell being like, uh, I've been trying to contact the ancient ones, wondering what you're thinking about what Eldritch spell <laughs> I should use to uh or just like I, I did get the grandpa like Facebook comment emails a little bit, but I was really, really hoping that like specifically Mike Murphy, based on his posting style, there would have been like just like one email. Uh, my grandson sent me this. So I'm laughing so hard. You got to open this or whatever. And then it's just like a nine gag (laughs) link to the, to the picture of like the stick and rink logo, but it's a golf club (laughs) and a
2: golf ball, (laughs) you know, like just something like that.
0: (laughs) So for context here, what initially put Colin Campbell's emails into the public domain was a 2009 uh, lawsuit. Dean Warren filed uh, and a complaint with the Ontario labor relations board about, being fired as an NHL referee. And so in and around that time, Tyler Dello, who is now with the New Jersey Devils, he did basically what I did and combed through these emails and was able to deliver us more information than we initially had because a lot of this stuff is redacted. But the original email is this exchange between Campbell and... I believe his name is Stephen Welcome, the, uh, the head of officiating at that time. So this is an email between Colin Campbell, the VP of, of hockey operations, and basically the director of officiating, the person who is the head of refereeing. This is the email here filling in the, the spots that Dello filled in. A bend in the road is a dead end. If you round the corner and Dean Warren is standing there, your answer, re his high stick calls and the score of the game were horse shit. The third call on Greg. So he's talking about his son here was while they were down five on four on a defensive zone face off versus that little fake artist Savard. I had him in New York, biggest faker going and Warren (laughs) fell for it. When he grabbed his face on a face off, you're supposed to see the act, not call the embellishing act. Dean Warren has to go with referee, so the other guy on the ice. There must be a way to get rid of this guy. Is there a way we can track and total minors called by referees this year? We could then get the minors they call per game or with two referees. Is it impossible? Get Warren and the referee out of... Clubs. So I'm assuming Boston's games.
1: Oh, but, but real, real quick. What's like the context though? Is this an important game? It's a, uh, I, I don't know that it was a, a
0: particularly important game. Uh, okay.
1: You don't, you don't have to check, but I guess the point is, this is probably not in a, uh, high stakes playoff game. This is probably a regular season game. This is happening in
0: it's a February 24th, 2007 game yeah, between yeah. the Bruins
1: and the Panthers. So, okay. The fucking Bruins and the Panthers game. Colin Campbell sent in these emails for that. What do you think he's going to do for a playoff game? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we're,
0: yeah. This is uh this is an interesting place to start. So hypothetically, <laughs> I'm glad that you have noticed that Vias because that's, that's the most obvious takeaway, but there are a couple other uh really interesting takeaways from this because Believe it or not, do you know who were the was the first group of people to be really, really, really upset at Colin Campbell and accuse him of uh, malpractice in his position? Bruins fans. Because if you look in here, he's calling uh, Mark Savard a little fake artist, and right. it kind of points to him having a bias against him from when he coached him in New York. And the thing about this right, right, is that right, a few right. years later, Mark Savard... Mark Savard gets hit by Matt Cook and it ends his career and Cook is not suspended on the play. So at the time, oh, my
1: God, a lot
0: of Bruins (laughs) fans were really upset about that, about these emails that came out because of they pointed towards a, uh, you know, an issue of basically, um, I guess you would say, like partisanship when it comes to to dealing out suspensions. And mm-hmm. then the the other thing that I find just interesting about this is just the kind of work environment that you're creating, I guess. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a good thing to me to be an unofficial and to be aware of the fact that your boss's boss is on the phone to your boss all the time complaining about calls you make against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will add, mm-hmm. by the way, that I found uh, somewhere uh, in, one, in one of the articles I was perusing, I found a joking reference to... Uh, and this was in 2010 too. Oh, maybe that's why the Bruins went out and acquired Gregory Campbell. So they could get better. Uh, they, they, they could get more favorable you know, calls from oh, the league. Hey,
2: be, well,
1: that's a really good point though. Yeah. 31 out of 32 GMs would think about this when acquiring players, they think about what networks to bring in with them. They absolutely, absolutely. would. Uh, and when you bring in Greg Campbell, that, that element is not, not on the table. Like that is a known quantity. Coming in, you know you have the the your the boss's kid on the team. Of course, you fucking know what's you are going to get from.
0: Look that. at the draft right now. All anybody in Vancouver can talk about is we got to get Luke Hughes so that in a few years we can sign Jack, <laughs> and so Quinn <laughs> won't leave to go to New Jersey. Like th- this, is that, is, wait, and this is is just that just like, what people are yeah, saying? people yeah. are saying it's,
1: this. I, it makes sense, but I mean, but it just
0: goes to show you that if people are talking about this, yeah. then. It stands to reason that people would be talking about Greg Campbell the same way.
1: Yeah, because who is Greg Campbell? He's not a top six guy. He's not a top. No, he's four a guy.
0: he's a fourth line center. Some people would argue a decent one. That line did get a lot of uh, positive publicity, right. and yeah, but gonna I, 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 you're
1: going to have a good fourth line.
0: I will say, just for the sake of fairness, I did have a Bruins fan in my mentions say the other day that. In Gregory Campbell's defense, no amount of interfering could have made Gregory Campbell good. Um, so I, I just wanted to get that out there.
1: <laughs> it wasn't about making him good. It was no.
0: about getting his name on a cup. I, I do agree with you, but I, I did want to add, add that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just no, for the sake of it. fairness.
0: Again, not all of these emails necessarily directly relate to what we're talking about, but I just want to include them just to give you a sense of who the people are that we're talking about. Right. Because I think it's very important to sort of like get a sense of Colin Campbell. If you've ever seen him talk, which chances are, if you've ever seen him talk, it's on an interview on hockey night in Canada with Ron McLean. Like that's the only Mm -hmm. time you've ever seen him talk. And that is him like prepared. He's got prepared statements. He's cleaned up. And I think there's a lot of yeah. value in seeing how not just him, but all of these people talk about this stuff behind their backs. Yes. So yeah, uh, th- this is another, uh, or behind closed doors rather. So this is another exchange from roughly the same t- time period between Colin Campbell and Brian Burke. Uh, the, co- the context for this is that Campbell said publicly that the question needed to be asked about whether or not fighting should stay in the game. Right. And at this time, this was applauded by a lot of people that Colin Campbell, oh, even Colin Campbell. So, this is the exchange that he has on that topic. So, this is an email from Campbell to Burke. JD is implicated in this. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Brian Burke, JD's <laughs> uncle. As we all know.
1: Right, right, right. right, right.
0: Uh, so it goes from Campbell to Burke and then back to Campbell. So Campbell says, Before you call me a Greenpeace puke, I only asked the question before the Greenpeace pukes accuse us of ignoring the question. Brian Burke, I never did. Said you were in a position of authority and entitled to your opinion. Pointed out neither stretcher case was seriously injured fridge just fought the wrong guy hate to disagree with you publicly, but we have made this too public a part of our, of our approach. So I have to reluctantly, the thing I'll give Brian Burke credit for, he talks exactly the same oh, yeah. way
2: <laughs> behind closed doors yes. as, as he does in public. So yeah. credit
0: where it's due, like he's one of those guys <laughs> like Tortorella where it's like, no, those are the guys I actually trust the most because you know that they're honest about it. Yeah, exactly. They come by it honestly. So, and then Campbell says in response, I love a good fight. If anything this debate cleanses our game and provides us with the defense that we did ask the question. Let the players defend it. They won't take a stand otherwise. We need their support here. I thought this was very interesting because it again, not that you need evidence that this happens, if you're if you're a a, a, a thoughtful person, but it's evidence of people within the league talking to each other about what do we say for the camera so that they'll leave us alone? Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. all the people who say, "Look at Colin Campbell on CBC." Yeah, everybody points to how, what Colin Campbell says on on CBC. Like. So, just another
0: quick one here. This is an email from uh, a reply from an email from um, Mike Milbury saying that. Uh, so, Mike Milbury oh, okay. emails Colin Campbell to tell him he made the right call on the Cook Zavard hit. I don't have the copy in front of me, but he basically just says like, good job. I know there was a lot of pressure, a lot of public pressure. Good for you for not caving to the PC police, basically. Right. That's, and I'm not even, he does say, he does literally say <laughs> political, politically correct or or PC or something like that's not conjecture. Excellent. He actually says that. Excellent. Um, Colin Campbell replies, I'm sorry to Boston, but somebody should teach that young man something about keeping his head up. Hitting is a vital aspect to everything our game is about, and we may be adjusting it too much if we are not careful and give in to the masses. So finally, um, one last thing as we go on to the preliminary details about uh, Colin Campbell and and such uh, is a little bit of um, information from the actual Dean Warren uh, lawsuit itself. This was really fruitful because um, combing back through all of the information about the initial concussion lawsuit and coming through those emails allowed me, it basically turned me on to this other set of documents that was revealed in this Dean Warren lawsuit. And while I didn't have time to go through all of it, I did go through the entire judgment. And
1: I think there are some really interesting pieces. This is so, so funny because it's like Jackson, this is what I do. This is what I do for like my job. <laughs> like you're doing you do doc review is what we call it. Yeah, yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> so this is just basically a couple of choice quotes from the judgment. I will add that uh, the case was dismissed, which uh, does not mean that there wasn't any legitimacy to the claims that were made, it just means that basically the NHL exhausted all of the proper avenues to fire this guy. That's all it means. It just means that they bothered to do the paperwork. In this application, Dean Warren, a referee employed, formerly employed by the National Hockey League, alleges that the league terminated his employment because he exercised rights under the Ontario Labor Relations Act of 1995. Mr. Warren alleges he was a well-known advocate for officials' rights because over the course of his career, he assisted NHL officials whose employment was terminated by the league. He alleges that when in 2006, he was elected to the executive board of the National Hockey League Officials Association, the league viewed his election as a threat to its plan as sanctioned by recent amendments to the collective agreement to retire a number of senior officials through what was called succession planning and the league terminated his employment as a result wow Mm. wow succession planning is essentially just just for those who aren't aware succession planning is the practice of basically you sit an old referee down and talk about like how we're gonna how we're gonna replace you with a younger referee Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. basically it's basically like they don't want to have to fire the referees. So they try to like get them yeah, in the yeah. door and talk to them about how to fire them and get a plan to fire them, which is like, yeah. I guess ultimately, you know, it is, you are dealing with a, a very physical job and there's a time, there's like a timeline on it. It's I guess preferable to just like up and firing them. But um
2: and like succession planning has like a real role because like you do need to plan to train people to take over more senior roles as your more senior people leave. But in like a closed, like in a weird closed shop environment, like NHL refereeing, your only real source of attrition is retirement. So succession planning aggressively is just forcing people into retirement.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's you nailed it. I I appreciate that because I don't think I would have been able to articulate it as well.
1: Two, Two points. One, I actually am curious about how it was the Ontario Labor Relations Act that applies to this. Like Mm -hmm. I actually did not know that it's Ontario that applies here. I'm kind of curious about, Mm -hmm. I'm genuinely curious like what the jurisdiction issues are are there. Like number two, if you see the NHL tampering with the NHL officials association elections, what do you think happens at higher (laughs) levels of power? (laughs) Back to the next point, please. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate this. I feel
0: like we're we're reversing roles slightly, and like Vias is doing the libel. (laughs) (laughs) uh.
1: I'm also reversing a role here because I'm eating uh, cold pasta. Pasta, notoriously a wet, soft substance. Not loud at all. Although I
0: can hear your fork uh, tinkling.
1: See, I'm I'm trying to mute between bites. No, it's fine. Here. Don't I'll, worry I'll, about it. Yeah. I'll try. I'll I'll, I'll do better. I, I didn't know growth. Sorry. I'll do better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my final. Uh, so my final piece on the uh, on the Warren lawsuit here. This is where this is where it really gets interesting, in my opinion. Mr. Warren started as a referee in 1980 in minor hockey. And after working his way up through progressively more advanced hockey leagues, attended his first NHL training camp in 1992 as part of the league's trainee program. From 1992 to 1998, he worked in a variety of minor professional leagues under the eyes of the league. In 1993, the NHL officials went on strike, and Mr. Warren was among several other trainee officials who were asked to work in the NHL as replacements for the striking officials. Mr. Warren, like the other trainees... Declined the offer in solidarity with the striking NHL officials. Mr. Warren and the other referees were then advised that the trainee program was canceled, but the program was reinstated after the strike.
1: Wow! Wow! Yeah. Uh, so
0: there's 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 other information uh, in there that details a little bit more about what what his deal was with um with the uh, officials association, but essentially, basically, this guy um filed a, a lawsuit saying they filed me they fired me for being too militant in my executive position with the officials association and right in the ruling basically what the judge says says is that you did not successfully prove that you were fired for this yeah which is always the thing that they say but he has three referees testify on his behalf that that he was an an upstanding referee and that his only problem was that his skating was starting to get a little bit less like his, he was starting to slow down, but his eyes made up for it and he was able to yada, yada, yada. Basically Mm -hmm. he had multiple Mm -hmm. referees who were willing to testify that he was a good referee. He had refed playoff games into the second round. And by all accounts, there was never any point in his career where he was in the bottom half of NHL officials. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. again, I, Do your own research, folks. (laughs) All right. So that brings us to more on ice stuff. I'm going to go through this chronologically, and uh, we're going to get into some more, uh, I think, stuff that you guys are going to have more to say about and and are going to know about. So the first thing we have to bring up as it pertains to the 2011 final, which is, you know, of course, the thing that we're ultimately interested in as Canucks fans. uh, I have to talk about the Chara... Turnbuckle hit on Max Pacioretty.
1: He almost killed the guy. You, obviously, you guys remember this. I, Any like, I remember it so much that anytime I see a hit right at that point in the boards, I think about that and I shudder. Like, I know that they've done the curve.
2: Every time I see the curved gla- plexiglass, I think about that hit. Like,
1: yeah, it scares the shit out of me. You, you would think. Wait, wait, Chara? Did Chara get suspended for it? Real quick? No, Chara did
0: not get suspended for it.
1: Fuck. Oh, Anyways, you would think that some like that that a that a infrastructure change to the hockey arena regulations across the league uh, would have come out about because of something from Spendable. I got okay. I, I think that's arguable actually because yeah, you could say. I
2: mean, you say you say it's an accident, and then you're just saying, well, it's, our arenas are designed poorly, so we have to fix the arenas. It's not the players' fault, right? So you but the players see also they know where they're. I mean, obviously, that's what's actually happened. But I'm saying that they're going to claim that it was an accident and just a freak of the design of the arena. So. Do
0: you guys remember uh, the segment on? I, I don't remember what station it was, but it was the segment where they went around to all the different NHL players. They did multiple. They did many of these. Where they went around, went around to multiple NHL players and asked them what they thought about it.
1: No, I no. don't know. I didn't pay attention to any non-Vancouver stuff. Actually.
0: The most uh, notable one, I think had like Clark MacArthur and Joffrey
1: Lupo and a couple other guys, but Joffrey Lupo. Wow. Hold on. <laughs> That's a name. <laughs> Paladromes uh, hit even harder.
0: Go on. Uh, so, but the, the one that I will always remember, which was, which I wasn't able to find again, but I remember clear, clear as day is uh, they asked Tanner glass, and uh, this was when Glass was por- sporting that awful, like, like off-kilter mullet. And uh, anyways, they asked him about it, and he just said, you play in the NHL, you know where that stanchion is. That's all I have to say.
1: You know, honestly, yeah. That is that is kind of like the end point to the point I was making. Like, you know, the players, yeah. You somehow only just noticed that that thing is there? You think Zidane Chara? like Zdeno Chara at the time he was already like Zdeno Chara was already a senior hockey player, by at that point, Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, he was already captain of an original six team. Like you don't do that by being, uh, but by, by like, you need experience to be, you need, you need to be a senior citizen of the NHL to do that. <laughs> um, he knows where that is. Max Pacioretty also kind of doesn't expect any sh- shit like that to happen. Cause he's a little experienced by that too, but yeah, I, I I really appreciate that you found that quote, because it does like hearing it from a hockey player really. really well, yeah. if you, in so
0: if so you like. liked that quote, then I think you'll like a, the quote from Pacioretty himself even more.
1: Have I found a quote that you found for us that I didn't like?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I heard Chara said he didn't mean to do it. I felt he did mean to do it. I would feel better if he said he made a mistake and that he was going for doing that. I could forgive that, but I guess he's talking about how I jumped up or something. I believe he was trying to guide my head into the turnbuckle. We all know where the turnbuckle is. It wasn't a headshot like a lot of headshots we see, but I do feel he targeted my head into the turnbuckle. I am upset mm-hmm. and disgusted that the league didn't think enough of the hit to suspend Chara. I'm not mad for myself, I'm mad because if other <sighs> players see a hit like that and think it's okay, they won't be suspended, then other players will get hurt like I got hurt. I've got a fractured vertebra. I'm in hospital and I thought the league would do something, a little something. I'm not talking a big number, oh, I don't yeah. know, 1 game, 2 games, 3 games, whatever, but something to show that it's not right. And um Georges Laroc also expressed his support on Twitter saying uh, after hearing from Max Pacioretty that Chara was holding him down and Max couldn't get out of the way, it changes everything. Bad ruling. Um, So just underline, Chara did not receive a suspension for this. But guess what did happen? It was investigated by the Montreal police department. Whole- <laughs> so the Montreal police God department bless. investigated <coughs> yes. this. Hit. the Montreal police department. It was It was a bad enough hit to warrant an investigation by the MPD, but not a
1: suspension. They fund everything except that.
2: <laughs> I love how every other fan base uses this as evidence that the Habs fans are just giant cry babies when it's like, no, that that was the right call.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> the, the Bertuzzi worth I mean, yeah. like, okay, look, all cops are bastards. Like Vancouver like,
1: police investigated that. Yeah, it's
0: not like it is a thing that happens. Like, <laughs> you know, and yeah. and, and, and the, we'll we'll note too that the 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 injury is the same injury, concussion
1: and a fractured vertebra. I'm getting heated up here because I like I, I may I may be like this fight may be like a shower fight like with an imaginary person in my head. But when it comes to NHL suspensions, I I think I see when like oh somebody didn't intend to do it or it's by somebody who doesn't have a history of doing something like this or uh, what have you or it's an accident or it's or it's just like a freak accident. I think when things are penalized in in say our kind of traditional legal arena there's kind of an underlying thought where like if we punish somebody who didn't mean to do it, there's kind of like, there's no floor to it. It could ruin their life in hockey. The way justice is doled out. You have to remember these guys at minimum make six figure salaries. So yeah. if somebody innocent gets punished for something by the NHL, it isn't that bad that they miss a game. They, li- they lose out on some money from their already lucrative career. So when yeah. you, if you were to punish say, Zidane Ochara hypothetically for doing this <laughs> thing that he could say has something to do with the infrastructure of the arena, he's a freak accident. The guy left his his uh, the guy left the ice and and, uh, and looked at his feet. You should still penalize that, even if Zidane Ochara has a good case, because it penalizes that kind of like, it disincentivizes that kind of action further down the road. If you're an innocent person, or if you're, if you're somebody who doesn't have a history of acting uh, like a, like an asshole on the ice. Mm-hmm. Like, it should apply to you, too. And that's what, that's how I felt when it came to conversations around, like, the Mark Scheifele hit. When people are like, but honestly, anytime time it comes up that somebody's like, oh, this guy didn't have a history, so, like, we got to dock some points off of that or, like, yeah. give some points, leave some on the table. It's like, no, you're, you have to send a signal. If you punish him too hard, what's the worst fucking thing that happens to Max Pacioretty? He sits on his couch for a few days and collects his checks? Jesus Christ, come on. It's a different legal system. There are different bodies at stake here.
0: Yes. The the thing that, that I think you highlighted there, whether you're aware of it or not, is that the reason why you would do that is because you want to send the message that the NHL is going to be as permissible towards violence as it possibly can. Yes. That's the message yeah. that you're yeah. that you're yeah. actually sending. And and I will say that too yeah. that that what this is all adding up to, this is just a, a going to be an hour of here's why it's okay that I, I'm so mad i still mad about the Aaron Rome suspension
1: I'm so fucking with <laughs> it
0: the real thing that we're getting to here is just that if the NHL it, we've clearly demonstrated on prior episodes and on th- this uh, one that the goal of NHL suspensions is not to keep players safe so what is it right mm. and, and as long as the, the goal isn't to keep players safe and you're not doing that with any kind of consistency, then it's open fucking season on, on things like Aaron Rome, which you could argue like Nathan Horton got hurt really badly. And you can argue that maybe it's good to over, to, to over police something like that. But if you're going to over police that then over police everything don't just randomly make up like new sets of rules based on whether the player is a star or not or what situation yeah. the game in game is in you call mm. you call it by mm. the book so that you can say we're calling it by the book and then if that results in problems you change the book anyways this brings us to point 2 <laughs> Nathan Horton and the water bottle so Vias, I know you basically have no idea what we're talking about I do not remember it now Elliot, though I know you, you were actually the one who who turned me on to this uh, initially. Were you aware of the Nathan Horton shenanigans in the Lightning series when they happened, or was this something that you that you found out about
2: later? This was something that came about afterwards.
0: Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, so, uh, for for those of you that need an explanation here, um, the best sort of rundown i could find is from travis hughes of uh raw charge the sb nation uh lightning site uh the title is video bruins nathan horton sprays tampa bay lightning fan with a water bottle it was to a fan we're 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 gonna get we're gonna get there vias don't worry yes okay (laughs) (laughs) there's a video circulating on the internet this afternoon passed along to us by john fontana Of raw charge showing a Boston Bruins player angrily squirting water on a cheering, heckling Tampa Bay Lightning fan
1: as the team
0: heads off (laughs) the ice and down the locker room tunnel after game six at St. Pete Times Forum. It's not a very crisp video and we can't and we can't see faces, but we've done some detective work to try to figure out exactly which Bruins player is the culprit here. So going back to the long tradition of breaking down gra- grainy NHL video like it's the Zapruder film, part of a, a, long, a long tradition uh, that I think most recently, uh, Ragged is that the, uh-huh. the, the best example of this in recent uh, memory? Anyways, um, it's definitely one of the most recent ones. Uh, We've done some detective work to try to figure out exactly which Bruins player is the culprit here. It's Nathan Horton, and we'll explain how we got to this conclusion after the jump. The player comes off the ice, so it has to be one of the players who was on the ice at the final horn. Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, Horton, Milan Lucic, Zdeno Chara, or Dennis Seidenberg. We can immediately rule out Chara and Seidenberg because those guys are like conjoined twins these days. So it's one of Lucic, Horton, Bergeron, or Krejci. Krejci was too busy being hit in the head with Noisemakers, so it wasn't him. That narrows it down to three players, and a look at the reverse angle captured from the Versus telecast (laughs) shows us the culprit. I have to go through this entire thing just because of, like, how impressive it is. (laughs) And it's very on-brand for us. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Watch beginning at the 28-second mark, and then you can clearly see number 18. Reach down, grab the water bottle, and reach up. So, um, I will add, by the way, that in, in other places, it was, uh, At least one person said he actually threw the water bottle at the fan. I don't know if that is uh, just an error or if it just has to do with grainy video or whatever, but I thought that was interesting. Um, mm-hmm.
1: It's probably, I mean, also, this is probably why I don't remember this because there wasn't like a clear legible video of this. Otherwise, I think I totally would have.
0: For context here, um, this is the final, the author's conclusion here. So what should happen to him? This obviously isn't on the same level as the incident from earlier this season when Rick Rapp- Rippen went after a fan uh, in the stands in Minnesota.
1: Fan deserved it probably, I assume.
0: <laughs> he was suspended six games. Surely some people will blame the Lightning fan who clearly goes out of his way to get over the tunnel and yell at the Bruins, and some will blame the crowd in general for throwing those noisemakers, despite the fact that they clearly weren't throwing them at the Bruins. But if there's one thing we know, the fan it's that fans are sacred property and they're allowed to get away with more than a player can. Mm-hmm. If the fan actually physically attacks, as a Flyers fan did with Tidomi years ago, that's one thing but Horton has to hold back here. In fact, he even goes out of his way a bit to grab the water bottle and get the fan. He was clearly hot-headed, getting a penalty at the 20-minute mark, and he simply let his emotions get the best of him. At the end of the day, is it really a big deal? No, it's just water, but that doesn't mean Horton comes out looking good either. If this were the regular season, I'd expect a game suspension. In the playoffs, Mm -hmm. right before Game 7, he'll get a fine and we'll never hear about it again. Lightning fans will likely complain about a miscarriage of justice, etc., Um, And I will just say this guy was dead wrong because Nathan Horton did not get a fine.
1: He didn't even get a fine. No, nothing. Okay. Oh buddy. This is wild. This is definitely new to me.
0: And I I will say that I'm trying to, to keep this as focused on true information as possible and trying to take conjecture out of it, because, because I, I really want I want to show people the amount of fuckery with as little editorializing as possible, because yeah. there's so much that it really doesn't need that much editorializing in my opinion. so but I, I, I do, I do want to delve into uh, a bit of a counterfactual here. So Nathan Horton is the player who scores the game winner in game seven against the lightning. So you could very strongly uh, make a case that uh, if Nathan Horton had been suspended, as he should have been for spraying a fan with a water bottle, because John, John Tortorella was suspended one game for spraying a fan with a water bottle. So you could argue he doesn't deserve. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Um, You can argue he doesn't deserve the six games that Rick Rippen got. But I think any reasonable person would say, like, you get in an altercation with a fan and there's already a precedent set by a guy getting a one game for spraying a water bottle on a fan. You should get a one game suspension at least. So the, the obvious counterfactual here is if Nathan Horton gets suspended, do the Bruins advance to the Stanley Cup final? Tough to say. Another thing that's tough to say is how the Bruins benefited from playing in uh, the first Stanley Cup game in 20 years to feature no penalties. Uh, so that was really odd.
1: Oh, sorry. Really? Yeah,
0: sorry. In a playoff game. Um, uh, I meant to say in a Stanley Cup playoff game. My, my apologies. Um uh, so it's the first time that has ever happened in 20 years of the Bruins just happened to be the best team at five on five in the NHL that year. And one of the mm. worst teams on the power play in the playoffs. Uh, mm. Weird.
2: Right? Mm. That's really weird.
0: Yeah. Very odd. Um, so weird. I, that I think out of everything, out of all the research I did for this episode, that sequence of events is the one that bothers me the most. Like the one that, that is the most <laughs> likely to be a thing that I think about right before I die. It's just like uh-huh. the water bottle and, <laughs> and Nathan
1: Horton scoring the overtime winner in a game with no penalties. <laughs> I don't have a good reaction for that. I just, uh, I, I, I didn't know. And it, it. I think I wrote this down when I was thinking about like, what to talk about today. Fan culture here. We have a big victim complex, obviously. Oh, yeah. uh, we, we think everybody's out to get us. And so when 2011 happens, it's, it's very, it's a very complex situation where all this evidence mounting evidence against, uh, or like in our favor about there being, okay. Some people can say conspiracy. Some people, I'm going to say, and some people are, uh, are me, <laughs> um, it was a conspiracy for lack of a better word, um, because there is none. And so when you match that with the fact that we have this victim culture, it's similar to a boy who cried wolf well situation. Absolutely. Where nobody's going to believe us. Nobody's going to take it seriously uh, that they're, that literally the person in charge of officiating at the end of the day, God has hated us on the team.
0: so much for so long that. Yeah. That it's, impo- it's very, very hard to tell the difference between a Canucks fan whining about how the gods do not smile upon us yes. and a Canucks fan whining about a legitimate grievance with like. And I will I will stress, too, that like all of the people that I'm talking about in this scenario, or at least at the very least, all of the people that I'm talking about in the league office, say whatever you want about Horton and Chara or whatever, yeah. y- you know, <laughs> like you know, I defend Alex Burroughs, like whatever, I get it. It's fine. If you're a Bruins fan, like that's what you're going to do, whatever. But these guys in the, in the league office, no one likes these guys. Like, like every fan base has a fucking reason to not like these guys. And, and we're, we're giving you our reasons, you know, like
1: this is a league where every time the fucking executive commissioner, whatever comes out on the ice comes out anywhere near the camera, near fans, everybody (laughs) booze. And and it is part of the lore. Like everybody does it. He knows it.
0: I will stress too after reading the emails, Gary Bettman is the smartest, most honorable, most likable man in the NHL office at that time. Like, <laughs> no, like hands down. So um, now we move into things that have been covered a little bit more. The obvious next step here is the Aaron Rome hit and suspension. So I do have a small piece of reading material, but I've done a lot of talking so far and, um, and I've already alluded to it multiple times. So I'm just going to allow the two of you before I get to my, my piece here to just give me your thoughts on Aaron Rome, both at the time that it happened. And now in the, you know, cold light of day after, after 10 years of it probably being something that I assume you guys think about like two to three times per week. If you're like me,
2: (laughs) there is an NHL in which a four game suspension or whatever it was for Aaron Rome makes total sense. The NHL that makes in which that hit getting that suspension makes sense has never, ever shown up again. (laughs) Before or since. Like,
0: we'll, we'll say ten, 10 years later, almost to the date, the Mark Shifley hit also gets four games, right?
2: Yeah. And the Shifley hit is
0: worse. Two series earlier, right? Second round, not final.
2: And I hate the thing where, like, the discipline changes based on what round it is. Mm-hmm. But that's their standard. That's the fucking standard that they went with. So don't make it
0: the
1: standard then. Also, okay, look, I uh, I don't watch the, the hit that much. I didn't remember it that well. I thought that, like, I'm looking at the distance right now on the screen between Aaron Rome and Ethan Hortman. Hortman. Yeah. Uh, compare that to the Mark Shifley hit, for example. Like, holy shit. Compare You cannot compare these hits. Uh, I'm baffled. I'm baffled by how ba- – basically, I'm baffled by how close – uh, Aaron Rome is, and how how this hit has like resonated since then. It wasn't that big of a hit in my it's, opinion. It's it's
0: an ugly result. Horton gets concussed and it's really he gets hurt. It's it's tough to watch. Like yeah. his his bell is fucking rung. Like yeah. he is banged up. Like you can see his eyes doing the like he he got hit
1: bad. But it's the kind of hit where when I watch it, I my stomach feels shit. Like I. Yeah. I can't watch. It's, it. I can't watch the outcome. It's it.
0: a rough. It's a rough outcome. But um, you know, the NHL standard for a late hit is anything less than uh, half a second late. Hortons, by any reasonable measure about a second late. Like it's there's no intent to injure. It's not a dirty hit. Right. It's a late hit, and late hits are suspendable. But they have never before or since been suspended in that way. And and the thing that I'm going to say about this is that I think that ultimately, so th- th- this happens at a really weird time when it comes to NHL discipline because Colin Campbell steps down from this post at the end of May, on June 1st, 2011, I believe. And they announce Brendan Shanahan as his successor. And in this tiny little window between... Shanahan taking over in that position for the 2012 or 2011, 12 season and Campbell's reign. Mike Murphy makes decisions around suspension, uh, around suspensions for a period of like 10 days. And it's the only time he ever does it. And it's just like this 10 day window in the Stanley cup final where that's his job. And it was never his job before or since. And I just, I do think like other potential mitigating factors here are Uh, Mike Murphy says in an interview with Raw Charge, I believe, or with SB Nation anyways, he mentioned that Uh um, Shanahan had an input into the hit, like that Shanahan was part of the decision making Uh process. And I I do wonder if this being one of the first major things that Shanahan, like I I erroneously told you guys it was his first ruling. That's incorrect. It was a ruling by Mike Murphy, not Brendan Shanahan. But it's the first thing that he has input into in his new position. And so I do wonder if the new sheriff in town thing, what I really think happened here is you have a marginal defenseman hitting a star player. Mm -hmm. It results in an injury and the the media and the fans are bearing down on the league to handle headshots. And they think this is our chance to throw the book at someone and Mm -hmm. show people that we care when really we don't and Aaron Rome and by extension yeah. the Vancouver Canucks are caught in the col- in the collateral damage. It, this isn't a case of yeah. the NHL having it out for the Vancouver Canucks. That would be like stupid. Like obviously there I don't think there are any franchises that the NHL has it out for because if they because did why would you
2: bother doing they that? They would move
0: the franchise, right? Like like that <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense, but but there are but there are players and GMs and coaches and executives and et cetera, et cetera, that people that have a lot of power within the NHL do have it out for. And there are also other things like I would argue this where it's an it, the thing that happens is unfair, but it serves their business interests basically. Um, yeah. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of people will say, what are you doing whining over Aaron Rome? It's Aaron Rome. And look, uh, those people, I guess, have a point to a certain degree. Like He,
1: he has a family, though.
0: <laughs> I thought you guys cared about guys yeah, with family. he has a family. Exactly. You're going to make him get suspended. <laughs> he, How much money did he lose out on?
1: How much allowance could his daughter
0: not get that week? Exactly. Think about it. Yeah. Uh, but what I, what I will say is that the Canucks blue line is devastated by that point.
1: They are calling Nolan Baumgartner, who is in fucking Cabo on the beach, who hasn't played in like two weeks. Exactly. Yeah. So
0: it has an effect. And more importantly, it's just the principle. I think you should if, if something is a, if it's a bad hit on a star player or a fourth liner doesn't matter, it should be called the same way. Anyways, if you don't believe me, uh, maybe you'll believe Brad Kurtzberg of the Huffington Post uh, in an article from uh, beginning of June 2011 called NHL suspension of Aaron Rome excessive. This will give you serve to give you a sense of what the kind of case against it was at the time. I think it's actually it's uh-huh. quite well written. And it also has some interesting details about how the decision was reached. one decision in particular that I thought or one uh, quote in particular that I thought was very interesting. While this won't win me any fans in New England, I really think the NHL got it wrong when they decided to suspend Canucks defenseman Aaron Rome for the remainder of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Keep in mind, this is coming from someone who thinks headshots should be addressed in a similar way to high sticks. If you deliver a headshot, you should be penalized for it, whether there was intent or not. Let me also say it was a horrible injury suffered by Bruins forward Nathan Horton. And yes, the hit by Rome was late which Uh was why he was assessed a major for interference and a game misconduct on the play. But to go beyond that in these circumstances truly doesn't make sense, especially in light of some of the past decisions the NHL has rendered in similar cases. In fact, the four-game suspension handed down by the NHL is the longest in the history of the Stanley Cup Finals. First off, the Rome hit on Horton was not a blindsided headshot. Rome came at Horton North South, according to the NHL officials on a play where the Bruins forward had the puck dished the puck off to a teammate on the rush and admired his pass after he made it. (laughs) There's the (laughs) line, baby. Admiring his pass. Another one that's just burned into my brain forever. But you know what I'm, I hate the sport so much. (laughs) I know I do too. And this was how people talk about these hits at the time. You know, it's, it's one of those things where on the one hand, obviously, I think that's wrong. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, this is the fucking keep your head up sport. And if yes. you play yeah, the yeah, keep yeah. your head up sport, you know to keep your yeah. fucking head up. Yeah. And this is not. Uh, and this isn't Scott Stevens. It's a. It's a hit that's point. That's that's. You a second celebrate light. it.
1: <laughs>
0: like yeah, you, you you sell it. You celebrate it if it's if it's like half a second earlier. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You. you absolutely it's do.
0: making highlight packages.
1: You celebrate it if it's half a second earlier and if Nathan Horton is twice as injured. Yeah. Honestly, that's so I totally think I totally. Scott Stevens on Paul Korea.
0: Think about about
1: how many times that Scott Stevens Paul Korea hit has been shown off, and nobody talks about how horrible it was for Paul Korea.
0: they're finally starting to. Yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like the last time I saw it. it Yeah, they do now, but yes, you're correct. For years and years and years it was celebrated. That's true, that's true. Moving on here, uh, the bottom line is that had Horton gotten up and skated away on his own power after the hit, at most, we're talking at a two-minute minor for interference here, not a four-game suspension that will cost Rome a chance to play in the rest of the Stanley Cup Finals. NHL Senior Vice President of Hockey Operations Mike Murphy made it clear the case did not involve a headshot when he was interviewed about the decision to suspend Rome. This has nothing to do with Rule 48, Murphy said. This is just an interference penalty, an interference hit. If it was immediate after he released the puck, it would be a legal hit. We have them all the time.
2: Wow. That makes the suspension less justifiable to me, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that, that justification is an anti justification.
0: How is that the thing you say about the hit and then you give it four games? Yeah. This is not a premeditated situation like Todd Bertuzzi, who was headhunting and trying to deliberately hurt somebody back in 2004. Well, citation needed there, buddy. I don't know
1: about that.
0: Um, That's, look, we're talking about Aaron Rome here. I I, I don't know why you got to bring that one up.
1: God, I hope this is not your first episode listening to the show, listener.
0: Uh, this was a hockey play in which less than one second elapsed between the release of the puck and contact being made between Roman Horton, the league standard one half a second. So the lateness we're talking about here is even less than one half second. Two cases that come to mind when discussing this suspension are the Zidane Chara hit on Max Pritcher earlier this season and the Alex
1: Bros <laughs> biting incident in game one of the series. Yeah. Two, two, two things with the, that were as vicious as each other. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um,
0: one thing I will say, though, the one good thing Mike Murphy ever did was, do you know what his response to being asked about the Burroughs biting incident is? Now you're going to like Mike Murphy when, when I tell this story, but he said, yeah, we're going to look into automatic suspensions for sticking your hand in someone's mouth.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so that rocks. I'll hand it down no, to that you. that makes sense. I'll because, give you that one, Murph. Because later in the series, LaPierre pretty famously, like, wiggles his finger like right up against um
0: patrice bergeron's face right yeah
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. and like that was part of that like bergeron's like you like no not not eating it i'm not gonna open the air not, not, not opening the hanger yeah exactly yeah no i
0: do not want the airplane thank you very much um yeah we're
2: not landing here his <laughs> left here was just an all-time troll
0: The patch incident in particular is illustrative here because it involved an interference play where the impact of the landing caused a severe injury, not the hit itself. Both hits were late and involved players who no longer had the puck. Both involved situations where the victim of the hit was badly hurt and was forced to miss significant playing time. Char was not suspended by the league. Rome, however, is being suspended despite the fact that the league admits that suspending someone for one playoff game is more serious than suspending a player for one regular season game. And, uh, in the interview that, um, that he's talking about here, Murphy says, it does say as much, like, yeah, playoff games are worth more than regular season games. And he's like, I don't know what, what you would say the equivalent of that would be in, a, in the regular season. Could be six, could be 10. So you're saying this is a, this, that if this hit happened in the regular season, it would get six to 10 games as a suspension? Like, what the fuck? What are you, yeah. what are you talking like, about? Do
1: we even see that that often? No. Almost never yeah anyways
0: this brings us to the last little little piece of uh, of discussion here that I don't think we need to spend too much time on because it's it's just sort of an add-on but uh there's the hit the Johnny Boychuk hit on Mason Raymond that breaks Raymond's back and he misses oh, the rest of the final um God. ugly ugly result do you guys remember that hit I'm so fucking
2: yeah. I thought the world was falling apart when that happened I thought it was pretty horrific i thought it was completely malfeasant and malpractice that the trainers in boston made raymond skid off under his own power and didn't get him on a stretcher
0: that part's really bad and that would not happen now
2: yeah like as someone who you know is an ofa attendant i'm like yeah you didn't maintain like not to nerd out on this but like you didn't fucking take care of his neck like you could have made the injury so much worse do you yeah. wonder
0: maybe if if Raymond's thinking I don't want I want everyone to think I'm tough because everyone thinks I'm soft so I'm going to skate off by myself
1: I, I will get I do have time to to hear that but if you're
2: but also like a responsible league would make no like, absolutely oh yeah no absolutely this is not an argument, yeah. but like I have time for that but based off of like my recollection of the sequence of events I don't think he would have been able to articulate that or I will say
0: that I, I read the league's, like, sort of judgment on it. Like, I read Mike Murphy's, um his judgment on it, and he said basically that Raymond's kind of falling, it's awkward, and it's not clear that...
1: I'm doing a big jack-off motion right now.
0: <laughs> I will say, in my opinion, that I think it's the one that has the easiest defense to it's an accident and it shouldn't be a suspension. But the thing that really pisses me off is they don't call interference on it. And May- Raymond's like lining, right. lying on the ice there. I think you could very easily make the case. Like if the referees call interference there, that you don't have to give a suspension that there was a, right. you know, there was a penalty on the play. It's fine. We're done. But um, for, for that hit to just get nothing does leave a bad taste in my mouth. No question.
2: I kind of feel you can see Chunk shove Raymond's head down.
0: And yeah, put sure. Him in a vulnerable yeah, position. no, I, I see that too. But I, I just, I, I,
2: I. I think if like, the league took it seriously, I think I could forgive them overlooking it if they like took it seriously. But it was just like, oh, it's Raymond who gives a shit. Like he's soft. He's a perimeter player. You can just break his back. It's fine. He's a care. flopper. That's what those fucking mass holes yelled at him. Yeah, and, like, the fact that the Bruins fans chanted that, like, automatically should have been, like, a, yeah, guess what, you guys are assholes, fuck you, Uh, boy checks out for the season. Like, I'm sorry, burning down a city compared to that is uh, better. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, uh, I didn't hear that.
1: Uh, Of all the fucking things that happened in that two-week stretch, that is probably what made me the most angry. Like, like, okay, you could say, like, the Brad Marchand thing on Daniel Sedin, whatever.
2: Yeah, the Marchand-Sedin thing is just cheesy, like...
1: It's cheesy, it's corny, and it's also an easy example, whereas the Mason Raymond thing, it's not only it's not only how boytrack did it, it's how the refs did it, how the leagues handled it, to how the Boston fans handled it.
0: It also doesn't matter, and it's what the
1: Sedins do. Because it's the 40th time we've seen that happen. Yeah, exactly.
2: Like, ultimately, Raymond's lucky he played in the NHL for four or five more seasons after that? Yeah. Like he very likely could never have walked again after and yeah, what happens if he has the
1: same injuries that Steve Moore has? Like honestly, like that's an honest question that's not me poking fun at the Steve Moore thing is, but it's talking about the outcomes because of injuries. It's just luck. It's absolutely just luck.
0: I will probably put out the Steve Moore episode during the summer to give us a break, like I'll just I'll just unlock it um when in the dog days of the summer or whatever, but but like as we mentioned on that episode, the, the real salient point of the Steve Moore stuff is that Steve Moore has almost happened so many times, yeah.
1: and, and we're just
0: waiting for it to happen again if things just keep going the way they're going. So anyways, uh, I think all of that illustrates the the sort of player safety, corruption, nepotism angle pretty well. But there is a little bonus round here mm-hmm. that we also have to talk about very quickly uh big, big thanks to friend of the show, Justin Morissette, who was really the person who. I don't know if I
1: call him a friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: really, I think the first person to like really laser in on this and get eyeballs uh-huh. on it. But as many of you know, Tim Thomas to date has the best save percentage of any goalie. At any point in the Stanley Cup playoffs in, in history, in, in that 2011 run, in any mm. any run to the finals in history, he has the best, save percentage of any goalie. And he figured very heavily in the mythology of this series, obviously. There's the I didn't realize it was my job to pump his tires, quote. For whatever reason, the media really played this as like a good guy, bad guy narrative yeah. like thomas was the was the likable sweetheart and luongo was the moody like jerk mm. which in retrospect is
2: like so backwards i love how much of a villain Luongo was for saying yeah i probably would have saved the save that Burroughs goal because i wouldn't be 25 feet out of my net <laughs> Like, yeah, that is, that's pretty fair.
1: It, it, it's like one of those things that, like, per, perfectly describes us. We're like, or just like that, the, how much we are broken down by what happened that year. But anytime, like, a national media person who's not from Vancouver and who I already probably don't like also uh, praises Longo, <laughs> I lose my mind because I'm like, like you don't get to do that. that. Yeah, you don't, you're not allowed to do yeah. that with him. Where were you 10 years not ago? To, you're definitely not allowed to do that with the Sedins.
0: You can have Kessler. So uh, Tim Thomas figures figures heavily in uh, in the mythology of the 2011 final, but he also figures heavily in 2011 final conspiracies of a more recent vintage, because Justin turned, turned many of us on to Uh, a very interesting story, which is that Tim Thomas was involved in another lawsuit. Uh, He was named in a lawsuit against uh, Chris Piku, who designed uh, knockoff Vaughn pads and sold them to uh, a number of, uh, of different goaltenders across the world. The most notable of which ended up being Tim Thomas. Mm -hmm. So, this is an article from in goal magazine talking about Tim Thomas's new pads. So this is just an article being like, Tim Thomas has new pads. What's the deal with that? (laughs) We're in goal magazine. Like this is what we talk about. Apparently. Um, I like the idea that in goal mag, like I know it's not, but I would love if in goal mag was just like a, like guitar world where it's just like, here's, here's a bunch of like pads and here's a bunch of, it's it's just like a hot girl wearing nothing except pads. and a mat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would love, also just love to find out that like Daryl, like Daryl keeping or whoever the Ingold magazine guy that keeps coming on lives in like a gigantic mansion. Woodley, Kevin Woodley, Kevin Woodley. My bad. I don't know why it's Daryl keeping but it, you know why it's because his name is keeping, keeping. yeah i know yeah. <laughs> i uh, but like he like sits he like lives in like a gigantic mountain or like mountain mansion in like british properties and he is a pool shaped like a goalie pad
2: <laughs> which is just a right of a pool I know. uh
0: that's great all right so This is from uh, the article just detailing Tim Thomas's new pads. Piku confirmed he is making the unbranded gear for Thomas, but told Bruins fans they shouldn't worry it might affect his play. That's because Piku also claims he made the same modifications to the pads Thomas wore during his record setting last season. So this is him saying, (laughs) don't worry about these new pads because Tim Thomas also used them last year last year's pad is the same one he's wearing now piku said adding he bought vaughn oh I wasn't covers cheating i was doing the same thing last year <laughs> adding he bought vaughn covers from a sport sporting goods store tim's stuff was all custom made we elected to put vaughn covers on it because i wasn't ready to start dealing with the nhl and publicizing it a representative at vaughn custom sports disputed those claims late sunday night saying last year's pads were made by vaughn and that even if more modifications were made after they left the factory They aren't anything that Vaughn hasn't done past. There's not a mod out there that we haven't done before. He said adding Vaughn doesn't sell covers separately. So yada, yada, yada. The point here is that Chris Piku ends up getting sued for basically (laughs) ripping off these Vaughn pads and basically just passing off Vaughn gear as his own gear that he just like made a couple of adjustments to Uh. or whatever. And then being like, yeah, these are pads. I designed them. And when, when he just like Stuck a couple of extra straps On bond pads or whatever (laughs) I mean I don't know Because I don't know the details of the lawsuit but like That's what I imagine he did basically And the most impressive thing is that He's doing this illegally and then he Just goes off and brags to some magazine About it like he's like Oh yeah I'm doing that
1: You gotta move these magazines man (laughs) There's not a lot of goal in this
0: This is a tidbit from um, The Website of the Law firm that prosecuted this case a foster swift so um i i took this directly from them this is their like i don't know summary of the events i guess i'm not really sure why they're like posting a thing about the outcome of some trial that they litigated but whatever a foster swift trial team that included lawyers bunch of names won a 10-day jury trial in detroit federal court in front of Mike Vaughn Custom, in favor of Mike Vaughn Custom Sports Inc., Vaughn, an internationally recognized uh, manufacturer of custom ice goalie equipment. The complaint alleged that Vaughn's former production manager, Dennis Dombrowski, and its former outside sales agent, Chris Piku, While both were still engaged by Vaughn and using Vaughn's confidential business information, established a directly competing goalie product manufacturing and sales business. The complaint further alleged that both individuals and their defendant companies, factory modification and design LLC and Pico management, blah, 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 had manufactured and marketed confusingly similar goalie products to to professional collegiate and amateur level players. After hearing the evidence at trial, the jury unanimously found that the defendants had falsely designated the origin of their products, that they had breached fiduciary duties and duties of loyalty, and that they had engaged in unfair competition and civil conspiracy. The jury awarded Vaughn monetary damages of several hundred thousand dollars. The defendant's plan first came to light in September 2011, 10 months after they had parted ways with Vaughn. Piga was quoted in an online Uh, Hockey Goalie Enthusiast Magazine article, the one that I just mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. The article showed an NHL goalie who had recently won the Stanley Cup, the Vesna Trophy, and the Conn Smythe Trophy in a single play season wearing unbranded goalie leg pads pads that Piku claimed he had made for the goalie's use in the upcoming play season. The play pads resembled pads manufactured by Vaughn. So in this article, he is very clearly... Alluding to Tim Thomas, that's the goalie he's obviously mentioning here because all of that lines up, Vesna Consmite Stanley Cup, and also that he uh, wore these during the cup final. Piku claimed in the article that the pads were the same pads the goalie had worn during his preceding award-winning season. Those pads had been manufactured by... Vaughn and bore the Vaughn name. Evidence presented to the jury includes this information, as well as the fact that Dabrowski, while still employed by Vaughn, had begun purchasing expensive hockey product manufacturing equipment. There was also evidence presented that he later purchased raw materials for use in producing the defendant's competing products under different unregistered business aliases. Uh, the jury also heard that the defendants had been operating a competing goalie product modification business while engaged by Vaughn, and that they had been sending orders in goalie products to one another in the name of an individual who had been dead for over 15 years. So um, a lot of insane shit going on there, but the important detail here is there seems to be some uh, disagreement over at what point Tim Thomas started using these pads, but there is a decent amount of evidence that would seem to point to Tim Thomas having his unprecedented uh, run of success, winning the Stanley Cup, Vesna, and Conn Smythe, and doing so with unsanctioned pads, pads that are not allowed Mm -hmm. by the NHL.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Asterisks, man. Asterisks on the Stanley Cup. I don't care. In summation,
0: just to go over everything that we've discussed here, the Bruins had two players escape punishment for two suspendable offenses between March and June 2011, or three if you include the include the boychuk hit. We can we can debate that one, but there's at least two, sure. two, arguably three suspendable offenses between March and June 2011 that go totally unpenalized. Um, In terms of supplemental discipline, Chara did receive a penalty. Game seven of the Eastern Conference Final has no penalties. The first time in nearly 20 years this has happened. And in a season where the Bruins, uh, parenthetically, are the best team at 5-on-5. Nathan Horton scores the game winner. This could not have happened if he had been properly suspended in game six for the water bottle infraction. Emails revealed in the Dean Warrant lawsuit point to evidence that the league's VP of hockey operations kept a close eye on infractions committed against his son, going so far as to demand explanations from the director of officiating about calls made against his son. Mm -hmm. The Canucks receive an unprecedented four game suspension in the Stanley Cup final, often infraction committed by Nathan Horton, the player who should have been suspended as detailed in the previous point. And finally, uh-huh. the Canucks faced off against a goalie that to date has the best playoff save percentage of all time. Smythe winner Tim Thomas, who was doing so with illegal pads. In light of this evidence, I think the, Stanley, the 2011 Stanley Cup should be declared null, null and void and uh-huh. awarded to the league's runner-up uh-huh. The 2011 um, Vancouver Canucks.
2: No, I think it's be reward to the league's runner-up, the 2011 Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: if there's a Roxy Fever for uh, the sunny <laughs> the sunny uh, hockey city of Tampa Bay, uh, please connect us with them. We oh, would love please. to have them on. absolutely. And talk about yeah. how they should potentially have a third cup.
0: I will say that, uh, obviously, you know, I'm a Canucks fan. And I'm biased against uh, a lot of a lot of these people that are um, uh, involved in this. So I uh, but I but I want to I want to review two opinions on the matter from two very different sources just to really, like, drive home what we discussed in this episode. The first Mm -hmm. is called Conflict of Interest Too Big to Ignore. It was published in the Vancouver province on May 30th, 2011. It is by Tony Gallagher. This article rocks. I know we are I know we've gone long I am going to read the entire thing we are going to ask this question now once and for all and then try to hold our peace until the end of the Stanley Cup playoffs so I I want to underline once again this is May 30th 2011 the Stanley Cup final has not happened yet we can't say forever hold our peace but for a while at least straight up can the Vancouver Canucks get a fair shake with the officiating in the final Consider Gregory Campbell plays for the Boston Bruins and his father, Colin Campbell, is senior vice president in charge of hockey or operations for the NHL. What father doesn't want to have his na- son's name on the Stanley Cup? And of course, what is so stunning about this is the NHL fails to perceive any conflict of interest whatsoever, even though there is no sor- shortage of lawyers running about the head offices in New York. At least that's the NHL claim. During the season, the biggest problems arose on supplementary discipline, but that's not the consideration here. After all, you only get a one-game suspension for any transgression during the playoffs, and in most cases, there are no suspensions whatsoever. You'd have to punch a fan in the face repeatedly to get two or more. So barring some strange circumstance, this is not the issue. I love that a mere, like, five days before they are in Rome thing, a Vancouver redder is just going like, Well, it's not like anybody ever gets suspended for like more than one game in the final. Anyways, imagine what you would have to do to do that. If Rafi Torres ran over Patrice Bergeron, for example, Campbell would not make a decision on supplementary discipline because the Bruins are involved. Instead, his best friend, Mike Murphy, Murphy, with whom he works every day, would make the decision. If that makes you feel any better. Of course, that's a total joke in its own right as well, but it's not likely to be an issue. The problem is the on-ice officials. They are appointed by a department for which Campbell has responsibility and the entire progress of their careers is totally controlled by these people. They decide when the officials work, how much they work and as such, how much they get paid for each round in the playoffs a referee works. He gets an extra 18,000 over and above his yearly salary for a linesman. It's 12,000 for one and a half weeks of work. So if you please the powers that be you work lots. If you don't please them for whatever reason you don't get to work in the playoffs. The officials working the final are the guys the league thinks are the best. And as we've seen from the exchange of leaked memos a while back, Campbell can often be involved in those discussions. And make no mistake, we're not talking about any communication between these respective parties at any time. There's no conspiracy. The officials know what their bosses need and know how to please them. Now, any official who happens to displease the powers for whatever reason, serious mistakes, we'd like to believe, could find himself not working the final all of a sudden. And his employment considerations for the future would be open to question. Maybe he gets no playoff work the following year. Maybe it could be so serious that his contract might be reconsidered in the future. Maybe it could be so serious that he would railroad a guy out of the NHL for being too much of a labor militant. Sorry, that's my editorializing. Um, (laughs) The bottom line is these guys in the hockey operations department, of which one is the father of one of the game's participants, control every aspect of an official's employment. No, no conflict of interest here. Now take what could be construed as an advantage given to the Bruins in Game 7 of their series with Tampa. We're not saying it was, but it's an odd coincidence. How can a game as intense as any Game 7 must be inevitably result in no penalties? Heavens, in some games, you take a deep breath and it's a penalty. Yet in this one, nothing. (laughs) Then consider this. The Bruins were the best 5-on-5 team in the playoffs, entering the game at plus 19, and they're hopeless on the power play. Tampa had flourished on the power play, converting over 26% on the road and 25% overall. Who benefits from no calls? The final is going to be the same situation. The Canucks special teams are great. Will the officials swallow their whistles as they did in game seven? Just asking. Here's the ultimate problem. No matter what happens, there is an inherent conflict of interest that is impossible to ignore, which really hurts everyone's enjoyment of this final. Even if everything is called fairly, how do we get around not considering the idea that some of these calls may have been influenced? There are quiet whispers that the NHL is finally getting the message and Campbell will not be in this position after this summer. But is it too little too late for everyone's enjoyment of this final?
1: I appreciate you doing this because it's, it's like a very quick like, oh, I'm not crazy. <laughs> Even Tony Gallagher.
0: The, like that. I, the, the thing that I really want to underline about all of that is that that's before the final. This is an article that was written on May 30th. Yeah. <laughs> this is something somebody was talking about before any of this happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Tony G he's, he's had some W's and some L's in his time, but like to plant your flag on a story like that before everyone else, like Good for you. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not going to do the sign-off today uh, because we've already gone super long and uh, I think I have something better than a sign-off. Oh. Okay. Because okay. we've heard a lot from people close to the Canucks. I've obviously read a lot of these emails and you've heard all of our opinions. And I guess all I will say is like, I don't think it's a conspiracy because I think if your systems function properly there doesn't need to be a conspiracy. But I will say that obviously all of us are pretty biased when it comes to this situation and biased against Colin Campbell. So I thought I would close out with a quote from Bruins play-by-play man, Jack Edwards, about Colin Campbell.
2: I mean, he's just one of the least biased sources I can find. The, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 If, if we're talking about, this kind of situation going directly to the guy who is known for being the biggest Bruins homer <laughs> in the world would, would be enough to give people pause. So, this is Jack Edwards on Colin Campbell. The only person who seems to understand Colin Campbell's pattern of punishment is Campbell himself. The suspensions he hands down are arbitrary and erratic, swayed by non evidence, hunch, gut feelings, anecdotes, and back channel influence peddlers. And they are almost never clearly explained. He establishes precedent and contradicts it. He makes exceptions based on flawed premises and then concludes his arguments illogically and capriciously. No one knows what is allowed and what is not allowed. It is dartboard justice. Perhaps there is someone patrolling the highways and byways of hockey that has the ability to establish standards of punishment, to draw a clear line that everyone understands, to communicate effectively with players, coaches, managers, and fans, and to make the NHL a fair and safe place for the world's most exciting athletes. But Colin Campbell is not that someone.
1: God bless Jack Edwards, official friend of the show. Rocks of rocks. Jack Edwards
0: official second favorite play by play man in the league after no, sorry. Third favorite after uh third, 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 third favorite. favorite after uh, John Shorthouse and uh, Jim Houston. Well, that was the result of uh, a lot of hard work. <laughs> I hope it came out. Okay. Before we, before we call it a day here, any final thoughts? I feel like I, I will say, I feel like we are genuinely maybe the only people that would ever do this. And so it 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 feels like we've done a public service.
1: Are you the only people who would do this because we don't have any better things to do? Yeah. Like like and I and I mean that as a joke, but also like, yeah, the other podcasts like actually do like game analysis, signing analysis, yeah. like like do
2: like, all the boring a bit shit. of a focus.
1: Yeah.
2: our niche is different. <laughs> and, like, what do we lose by like people being like, oh, you guys are just like pro-Connect conspiracy theorists? And it's like, yes. And- <laughs> it's
1: like, yeah, that's, that's our fucking thing. That's the yeah, only reason good. we exist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. Uh, I don't have much to add. I think uh, the, the kind of point that I definitely wanted to bring up was already brought up. It was the whole, it, it's a horrible confluence of our of our victim complex and all the conspiracies happening at the same time. Um, yeah, and so I will go to my deathbed thinking about 2011. I will never remember the year I graduated high school because I will remember 2011 instead. <laughs> 2011, 1968, 1917, 1848. These are all dates that are very important in history.
0: <laughs> Was it a conspiracy? I don't know. Is there enough insane shit around this for me to die mad about it? Yes.